Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name is Justin Lee, joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Plenty of things to talk about today, of course, a little bit of Tiger baseball, but what's also very interesting are a couple of very non-eventful coaching moves on the Detroit front in basketball and hockey as their seasons wind down. We'll talk a little golf today, and what we won't talk about is anything um, particularly extensive regarding the Lions as much as Adam, I know, would like to do a game-by-game breakdown of the upcoming season, which incidentally is what I believe purgatory will be like for me. It will be Matt Millen, the the broadcaster, explaining every decision of every day he was general manager of the Lions. In any case, all that good stuff and more coming up on this edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. So, Detroit Tigers, they haven't been playing bad lately. How do you like that? <laughs> you know, we, we've been at this in a while, Justin, and the funny thing sure. is is that usually, um, you know, anytime we're kind of negative, we, we feel like it's maybe, you know, um, there hasn't been a reason for hope, especially in the last five, six years that we've been doing this uh, post-college show, but many years into the future show. Uh, and then usually they kind of turn around and, and then they do the opposite of what we expect. And then we get, you know, and that's happened with all of our teams, Red Wings, Lions, mm-hmm. you know, all of them. But I think especially been true with the, the Tigers. And I was sitting there, listen, I was uh, had to go somewhere last night, so I was listening to the remainder of our show that we did the last time. And, of course, I thought we were as down and as hopeless on this organization as we've ever been in this post-well-into-the-future uh, um, uh, radio show. Um, and especially, too, um, I even found it even more remarkable because it seemed like we, we definitely put in a good amount of time on, um, uh, you know, future Hall of Famer Mickey Cabrera. Uh, and, of course, then as I was pulling into my house and turned on the game, I saw he hit the home run. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, every, you know, every uh, clock, uh, broken clock is right twice a day and whatever. And then, uh, you know, but I'm 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 very curious about what the impact. And I, I know the last uh, several games has been way more than Mickey Cabrera, but I thought last night's game was pretty. Um, I, I I'll be curious about our conversation, not in this show, but in the future, uh, trying to figure out if maybe last night was the game that Mickey Cabrera is finally, you know, kind of figuring out things for the 2021 campaign and if he's going to be able to kind of, you know, get things going. I think one thing that helps is finally they did make the decision to get him out in the field a little more. Uh, and and um, But taking a step back, um, there's a lot of good things that have happened on this team since we last talked. One, they're playing better defense. Two, uh, they're pitching uh, both starters. That there's definitely been improvement there. Even though we we did say that it was pretty good to begin with, but but I mean, seems like the starters are starting to get a little more traction. But obviously, the bullpen has been really the the you know the kingpin here. Um, but you know, at the same time, they finally finally after about the first two weeks of the season, and then that that long wall. They're starting to get some clutch hitting, and I think that I mean, you know, however you want to put it, guys, you know, the 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 key to baseball is no different now than it was when Babe Ruth played the, the darn game, and that is you got to score more hit runs than the other team, and it appears that AJ Hinch and the organization seems to be understanding it, and I think the nice thing, and they are hitting home runs, no no doubt about it, but. They appear to be going against the grain of Major League Baseball right now in terms of just going, get on base, steal a few, and let's see what you can manufacture some runs and not just sit back and wait for a three-run homer, Earl Weaver style, that everyone else in the Major League is doing right now. So. You know, I think, and I'd be curious your thoughts, Justin, you know, I think Cabrera is the one exception to this, but I think, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to evaluate the Tigers' rebuild 
on a player by player basis, I don't think. I think it's real. It's I think it's the the mean, right? It's the average. Like, what are we seeing, you know, across the board from a rebuild perspective? And I think we got into the you know Miguel Cabrera rabbit hole last week because you know he was hitting one seventy, right? And he's still barely hitting over two hundred now. And you know his OPS has just got over six hundred, I think, right? Which is you know competing with Jose Iglesias over there, you know, two hundredth in the league, right? So I think putting him aside, you know you're starting to see from the team that kind of general improvement, the kind of general leveling that you would expect to see, uh, you know, and some of the talent showing through a little bit, uh, you know, Mize had a fantastic start, which was very quickly eclipsed by a no hitter, which are apparently now a thing that we do uh, regular uh, uh, scheduling here in, in major league baseball. Um, Kluber had one the following evening. Um, but I really think you have to look at the, the totality of it. And I think the last week and a half or so, it's been much better in that direction. Um, where I think is the, the talent was struggling a little bit more a couple of weeks ago. And that was combined with, I think, a you know, epically bad run by Cabrera, which is starting to level back out a little bit. So, you know, I think we got to keep the eyes on the, on the big picture. And, you know, the, this league's got a lot of parity this year. There's 12 games in between top and bottom in Major League Baseball right now. Teams are beating each other up, so I'm glad the Tigers are have moved back up into that that kind of general. You know, they're they're bad, but they're within the within the margin of error. Well, they they weren't when last we talked. They were terrible. So, yeah, um, I, I believe I said this last time uh, we did the show, but um, you know, is is bad as the team was at the time, they weren't going to stay that bad forever. Um, and as much as I've taken punishment over the years for uh, being a Cabrera apologist, he was actually hitting 095 when we did our last show. And, you know, it would not, it was not reasonable to assume that's what he was going to hit over the season because most pitchers can hit above that. And he's just going to accidentally hit probably 200. Um, so that's one thing. Willie Castro was hitting like 135 at the time. Nico Goodrum was hitting like 120 at the time. And I'm not saying these guys are just going to go light the world on fire, nor have they lit the world on fire since then. But at least they're hitting above the Mendoza line now, which is doubling almost where they were at the time. And so so there was a just natural like things were going to get better scope. Scope was hitting something ridiculously under 150. I mean like these guys aren't going to they're bad. I I I am not actually going to say that, you know, unequivocally across the team, but maybe these aren't the greatest guys in the world, but they're not going to be that bad. They aren't that bad. Um so I think we are seeing some of just the natural leveling out of of the the batting order, right? Uh, it's the pitching to me that's much more impressive. Um, and not that we haven't seen some good things. Hitting Candelario, by the way, I, I think really, really thrilled to see him really having a solid season after a really great year last year when he was really down to his last chance. It looks like he is going to be a good major league baseball player and it's only 27 like m- could have many good years in front of him so i'm really really thrilled about that but it's the pitching that has really made the difference and starting rotation um glory glory hallelujah alavila found a pitcher who didn't get hurt immediately in jose Urina, and he took a brutal line drive. Uh, the game, Brandon, I you were at that game, and I mean, you could hear the pop when when he got hit. And I'm like, that wasn't his glove; that was a bone. And thankfully, uh, nothing fractured. Uh, he was kind of turned to the side slightly, and I think that kind of saved him. Um, but anyway, you know, uh, Avila has done an awful job finding pitchers who don't like spending the entire season on DL. I mean, it happens occasionally, of course, 
course it's going to happen occasionally, right? I, I mean, and it's particularly when you're going dumpster diving. Look, 50-50, you're going to get something reasonable. But for the love of God, like Matt Moore, okay, I, I get it. He he gets hurt walking down the street, right? But you had then Tyson Ross, who started, what, five games before he tapped out for the season. Agrizal, who didn't even throw one pitch for the Tigers last year, spent the entire year on the DL. Now you've got Tehran, who has been super durable throughout his entire career. Poof, he's gone. You had Ivanova, super durable for his career. Poof, he spent most of the year on the DL. And and then, you know, uh, Rasco Ramirez comes up, major league pitcher. He, he hurts himself in a bullpen session. At what point do you say, what are we not? getting or do these guys just know hey i can get a free paycheck if i come to the tigers and just pretend i'm hurt i don't know in any case i digress a little bit starting pitching has been fantastic uh they've really done a nice job seeing mize out there really throwing his heart out is really exciting um you know obviously turnbull's no hitter and i think we all knew turnbull had it in him and it was just a matter of, you know, really uh, putting it together. Bullpen has gone from completely catastrophically horrible to actually not being bad. Um, and the one other thing I wanted to jump in on in terms of the bullpen is Michael Fulmer as the closer. Uh, Wojo tweeted out about it uh, either last night or this morning that it was kind of eye-opening watching Fulmer last night throw 100 miles an hour you know, coming in the ninth inning and I, I, you know, Fulmer's got that attitude. He has got the closers mentality. Um, well, I'm just going to rip through you people. And there's plenty of historical context or, or, you know, uh, precedent for a starting pitcher getting hurt, and becoming a closer. I mean, it's happened many, many, many times in the history of baseball since closers have really become a thing in the seventies. Um, and maybe the Tigers have actually found their answer. And uh, that's actually kind of exciting to me. So that's my take. The pitching is better, much, much better. And that's how you're going to win baseball games. And the offense is starting to come around. Um, but that's where we're going to have to focus on is the offense, is which of these guys are going to make it and which ones aren't. I think uh, August and July tell the tale. Yeah. I think that's what I, my hope is that they hang around, you know, about 10 games under 500, maybe, you know, plus or minus five in either direction. And then what happens in July and August when, you know, everybody's injuries are piling up, everybody's tired. Uh, you know, some of the young arms are getting fatigued, you know, because uh, they're throwing more innings than they ever have. You know, what happens then? And that will be the tale of, of how Avila enters into the next season. It'll either be on the rise or he'll be in some trouble. And even when you consider how many injuries have already taken place this season in just in Major League Baseball, and of course the fact that you know there was not a full season played last year, um, that is either a good thing or a bad thing. And, we're, and, and to your point, uh, Brandon, we are going to find that out in July and August. And uh, um, I will be, for one, very interested, uh, both from a, a just general overall baseball standpoint, how that plays out, and then of course the, uh, um, of course with the Tigers. Um, totally agree on the Michael Fulmer. I, I was watching that game last night, and I, I thought, you know, I think Fulmer finally one, he's healthy, obviously. That that's the, to me the most important thing. But for him to put in that performance, and I think you know when when Miggy hit that uh, uh, grand slam, you felt like at that point there there was not going to be one person on that team that was going to let that victory uh, slip through their fingers uh and then you know putting them at nine and two in the last 11 uh and 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 yes it, it will eventually that the nine and two will eventually level out and uh it'll be a part of uh you know some of these uh squads that they face whether it be uh the white Sox or some of these better offensive teams uh kind of figuring out you know some of the pitching being done and 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 of course in the meantime on the offensive side uh you know the backs not being able to necessarily manage uh, against better pitching but uh 
Um, a couple other guys I just want to mention: Matt Boyd, who seems, Matthew Boyd, who seemed to, uh, uh, you know, he started off really good, this, uh, really good opening day, if I remember right, and then he had a couple rough games uh, right after his first start of the season. Now he seems to be leveling out. And uh, um, granted, I, I don't know if we necessarily know what his level is per se, um, uh, but uh, he he's a guy that uh, um, I think finally he's kind of coming into his own ever uh, slowly but surely. Uh, the other guy I really want to call out, and I think we uh, gave a little bit of grief to his signing um, over the offseason, uh, but certainly uh, his uh, probably in the last uh, 15 games really proven to be a really effective signing by this squad. And that's Robbie Grossman, uh, who's doing it uh, uh, on the base pass with seven, uh, seven stolen bases, four home runs, 18 RBIs. Uh, and he was batting some sort of woeful close to 100 at some point, and now he's got that batting average at the 255, and uh, he's actually rather effective in the field as well. So, Yep, 100% agree. Um, we were all very meh at best on Grossman, but and, and the reason for that is because of our young depth in the outfield. Um but they have not played great, and he has been a steadying influence in the outfield. He's done exactly what Robbie Grossman does, um, and uh, you can't complain about that. And and so building on your point, Adam, and Brandon, really, both, you, you've said, hey, it's going to really matter what happens in July and August as, as things start getting you know, gross, those dog days of baseball, right? And this is where, uh, you know, the tough decisions by guys like Avila and and Hinch, I'm sure, will be involved in this. And the organization is going to really have to make some decisions, some hard decisions. Um, and boy, is that where we're going to succeed or fail? Um, Jacoby Jones, when do we cut with him, right? Uh, and again, he wasn't going to hit 100 all season, but is he going to hit above 200? Um, great defensively. Um, what do you do with him? Um, Nomar Mazzara. Um, you know, some of those other guys, like, what, what are you going to do? Like, what's the, you know, what's the end goal here? Do you even cut a veteran guy loose like Wilson Ramos at some point during the season if he's not picking it up, right? Uh, if you've got younger guys who are coming up, I'm not that hopeful with catchers, mind you, but I, I, I'm just saying in general, because it's it's time to start looking, just like you said at the top, Adam, about organizationally, how are the Tigers doing? And it is really important to understand that. And that's how we ultimately are going to have to grade Avila. Uh, and I know he's gotten F minuses in general uh, from this group, um, but it really is organizationally because a very fair point is, you know, you fall into a Casey Mize. I mean, if you don't take him, you're a moron. So, so he's at least achieved non-moron level um, drafting. Um, but now the question is, what's the health of the rest of the organization? And it was pretty bad when he took over. And I, I will not back down off of that point. Um, it, he, he did not have a lot to work with. And it's better. And again, anybody could have made it better. How, how good is the depth in the organization? So let's look at a guy like Victor Reyes, who really had a rough go at the major league level. He's gone down to AAA. He's played 10 games. He's hitting over 400. He's just scorching the ball. When do you bring him back up, and who does he replace, right? I mean, somebody will hurt themselves sooner or later. But, you know, you get my point. Daz Cameron's finally back from uh, his wrist issues, you know, and first couple games out hits, you know, you know, just hitting the ball right right out of the, the box. Derek Hill's actually hitting the ball. Like, where'd that come from? Um, you know, Paredes is doing fine. Like, so when do some of these guys, when do you say, okay, it's time to get them up here and deep six some of your uh, some of your other guys? You know, Daniel Norris, what's, what's his shelf life look like? Um, which I don't even know what's happened with him. Um, cause I really thought last year he turned a corner, uh, but then this year it's been really mediocre. So I think that that's the big thing. And that's the thing we're going to be looking at going into the summer is how do we handle these young guys? Riley green is just destroying double a right now. 
Uh, we'll see him in AAA at some point this season. When does he come up? You know, I'm not saying it's this year, but you know, I mean, there's what, th- th- this is the hard part. Wouldn't one in a, uh, a September call up potentially work with Riley Green? I mean, I, it, I you it know, I, I I can't remember how that that all impacts the you know the number of league uh, years you have in the league and all that stuff. But I think because of the small number of games, it's really not the end of the world to the Tigers organization. And you know, again, Correct. and then my expectation is that we'd want to do the same thing next year. Uh, with Spencer Turnbull, uh, especially considering Spencer Turnbull is actually older than uh, Riley Green. Uh, when you think about it, Riley Green straight out of high school, while Turnbull is uh, at four years of college behind him. So, uh, you mean again, Tor- Torkelson? Yes, Tor- Torkelson, Torkelson. Sorry. Yeah, Torkelson. So. Yeah, I got to do one every game. One, just to make sure you guys are paying attention. So. Yeah, that's true. Um... But yeah, it's so it, it comes down to service time, um, which is the whole reason, for example, the Tigers um, uh, released and ultimately resigned Franklin Perez is they didn't want to move a guy like uh, Fiedo over to the 60-day DL because then he would start accruing Major League service time. Um, right. So instead they optioned him to the minors and we'll have him on the shelf that way. Um, so yes, if they were to bring up green in September, that would potentially protect them from having an extra year of arbitration, uh, from him becoming a super two. Um, and so, yes, I could see, I could see a September call up. Uh, I don't think it would be any sooner than that. Uh, and, and going back to the, the actually Turnbull, um, I, I'll be very curious how the organization handles him because I think that a, a, a guy that up to, I mean three years ago Jim Price was saying that by far he was the most talented player in the organization just raw athletic ability and in and, and general overall baseball ability in his mind and um, for the large part that quote got said by Jack Morris too and you know you, that's going to be a, a, a definitely an alavila decision, especially if Turnbull continues to, if he's able to maintain this momentum that he's created with this no hitter the other night. Um, what they do with him is, is that a guy that they you know start saying, hey, you know, he's a beyond manageable contract, uh, you know, um, uh, situation, and he should build a garner, a, a very good player from another organization. Or not. So, um, you know, the other thing, in all honesty, the most important, important issue on this particular team, um, uh, Jake Rogers and that mustache. I mean, Ron Clay says, I, where did you steal my mustache from? I mean, where did you go back in a time machine and get that? I mean, that's the most important thing in the organization. I can't, I'm like, oh. Get rid of that that thing, will you please? Anyway, that that. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, I think I think we can all agree that that is just one of the most horrendous <laughs> facial hair situations in the history of Detroit sports. Oh, I, I, yeah, Ron Seiko, really? Wow! I mean, I thought I showed everyone <laughs> that wasn't the way to go. They call me the Penguin, and they're still and they're still guys so emulating me. Brutal. I'm excited that we're digging up old third baseman from the 70s. I'll have to look um, at Howard Johnson, too, because that was really yes, bad. He had, he did have some serious uh, facial hair, also, you know, mustache-type uh, situation. Speaking of Spencer Torkelson, I did want to throw a uh, message out there um, on that front. Uh, and he's only 21, by the way, and Green's 19. Um, so... I mean, it, it, it's they're they're very, you know, yeah, a um, lot of opportunity ahead of them. You know, I heard some complaining uh, in professional sports, in the professional sports world, as well as some amateur, less professional people. Um, you know, really, really get on the Torkelson's a bust bandwagon um, early on in the season. <laughs> and I just want to say to those people, if they listen to the show, you are a moron. Okay. So if you hold that opinion today, you are a moron. And I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Um, and if you, yeah, this is baseball folks. 
eight games with him getting two hits is not him being a bust. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I, so, I did have one buddy of mine text me. Goes, I, I think this is going to be a really bad thing. And I'm like, Spencer Torkelson hasn't played a professional game of baseball in like two years. He's never he played. Well, I mean, a he hasn't played any competitive. Yeah, he's never played a competitive. He hasn't played a competitive game of correct. baseball in two years. Correct. He didn't play anything last year. That is what is correct. he supposed to do? Correct. I mean, seriously, his first spring training after taking a year off at 21 years old. Yeah, he doesn't. Oh, oh do we have a Jake Rogers? We have a. <laughs> Do, we have a Jake Rogers sighting on Brandon's uh, um, video feed here, which unfortunately, since we don't release the video, or fortunately, really for everyone, uh, we, can't, uh, we can't. Right now, share, right now, it looks like right now it looked like uh, uh, Jake Rogers is whispering sweet <laughs> nothing into uh, I, Brandon's ear, right with his well, mustache. If he's right our long term, <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for it, Haas. You know, let's let's go. Whatever they need. Get me a good catcher. Haas has been impressive, by the way, in his six or seven games. I'm not saying it's really worth anything, but did you see him throw out a guy from left field the other night? Um, he just picked up the ball, and he just like uncorked this incredible throw, one hop strike, and had the guy out by like seven feet. It was just like, whoa. Very impressive. Anyway, look at that poor Seattle team. Or I mean, because uh, that, that no, it was, maybe uh, it was last night. He threw. Yeah, it wasn't last night. Maybe it was. I I don't know. I don't remember. I'm too old to remember these things. So, well, good for you to be able to step and watch those games if you call that. So, no, it's no, way that's, too that's, late for this that's guy. Video. Uh, that's that's oh, video. what video oh, replays nice. are for. Oh, uh, very nice. Okay. For. Okay. Um. So anyway, um, yeah. So there, there, there we are with uh, los tigres, um, and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, here, here we are. We're 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 soon headed into uh, the black hole of sports as uh, the other seasons will start to wind down over the next month or so, and it'll be baseball, and we'll have to see what's going on with the tigers. And I will say also. Um, you know, uh, Comerica Park and, and many parks around the league will be going back to full capacity soon. Comerica Park is June 1st. We'll be going back to full capacity, which I, I need to figure out what on earth is happening with my tickets because I better be getting my old seats back. Uh, I'm going to drive down to Woodward and have a conversation with them. Um, but anyway... Oh, and does that mean Pom Pom comes back? Oh, no. This is terrible. Anyway, uh, we very much enjoyed not having to uh, hang out with um, the unclean masses at the Tiger Games. Um, so this this will bring them back out. But it, it does make it more exciting, uh, obviously having more people. Um, and... Unfortunately, it also increases the chances that we will have somebody who needs to very loudly and incorrectly explain baseball to everyone around them um, behind us, because that happens almost every game. Okay, I'll stop complaining now. Any final thoughts on the Tigers? I, you know, again, like I kind of said earlier, I'm very curious about what then the next segment of games before our next show are like, right? And I, off the top of my head, I don't know. I'll, I'd have to kind of take a quick look at the schedule. Um, uh, but, uh, and, and, and I think it really does go to a point that Brandon made. And I think this is a, I'll call it an epidemic. I think that might be a little bit of a strong word, but it, 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 it certainly is uh, the, the, the parody. So, you know, I mean, so, Right now, the Tigers got Kansas City this weekend. Uh, they got at home uh, uh, Cleveland uh, Memorial Day weekend. They've got the Yankees in town, uh, and then they go on a, a, an interesting road trip uh, at Milwaukee, at Chicago. Uh, so that would be the games that we would see on the schedule before we talk next. And uh, I'll be very curious 
I, I will be very curious about how these things play out, um, uh, especially to probably maybe the next week when we do a game. I mean, we'll be able to, you know, watch the uh, the mastery of uh, Tony LaRusca managing that uh, Chicago White Sox team. So. <laughs> My uh, my thing is, let's get the chase for 500 going here. Get rolling. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, no, I'm excited. That, that I mean, I think that'll be something that'll keep keep us watching a little, you know, this summer is if he can if he can keep it up and you know, a home run every now and then, you know, over the next two months, and it's gonna, you know, there'll be something to to cheer for, uh, you know, going into the summer, you know, and that's that's what I'm I'm hoping for him is that he is able to get to 503,000. He is absolutely deserving of both. Uh, you know, I, I, and I'm, you know, probably the most draconian of the three of us, you know, I think his value to us is re- with respect to the rebuild is almost an irrelevant conversation, but I think him getting to 500, getting to 3000 in a tiger uniform uh, will be very, very cool uh, for the fans to see and very, and, and well-deserved for him. And you know, I, I would, he doesn't need to lock up his hall of fame status. He'll be in the hall of fame regardless, but you know, when he's when he's in the pantheon uh, of the conversations in time, it'll be good for him to have those two statistics behind him. He deserves that. The the, the last thing I'll bring up uh, is the um, uh, AJ Hinch. Um, I'm 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 wondering how much uh, um, his decision making for this particular team has been impactful. We talked about Michael Fulmer and that move to um, uh, the uh, uh, closer position. We talk about, uh, you know, to me, I think it was very subtle. It wasn't a whole lot of fanfare, but the, that move to uh, have Miggy play more, you know, from first base. Um, you know, those small things, I I, I just tend to think that uh, <laughs> I just and, tend and to... Again, I, I, strategy, don't actually sign or have another viable first baseman on the roster. That's why I put in Cabrera on the field because Avila didn't give me another Bruce Bateson. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they <laughs> have like Candelero. Like. They have Candelero. He can play first base. I mean, I I don't think Scope was terrible at first I mean, base. I think all so. of them can play first. I think Hoff can play first base. Like, do you want them to play first base? <laughs> and and Nico, I mean, has played yeah. a fair amount of, of first base as well. But no, uh, that that is an interesting point. We did not go out and sign another first baseman. It, it feels like the reverse situation. Well, from Moneyball, when uh, when uh, you know um, Art Howe uh, goes to put uh, Carlos Pena in the game, and Bean's like, "No, you're not doing it," and he's like, "I'm the manager. Lineup cards mine." And Bean's like, "No, I traded him." <laughs> Okay, you're not putting them in the lineup. So, anyway. Uh, but like we were talking about earlier, we're you know getting into that, that final stretch for both the NBA and the NHL. Um, Pistons re-upped, and, and there was really no other option, but they re-upped Wayne Casey. Um, and um, I, I, I think things are looking up for them. Um, where, where do you guys, where is your head on that? Oh, I, I think they have a phenomenal finish to the season. I, I think yeah. they have a ton of options. They did a great job balancing young playing time with the tank, you know, and keeping Jeremy Grant uh, healthy. Uh, you know, they were clearly in tank mode, you know, the, the lineups they were putting out there. But they have a really, really well-constructed roster for flexibility in a rebuild. Uh, a lot of young talent, a lot of young talent that's just even within – uh, their own game is very flexible in terms of positionality. Uh, guys that can play, you know, all across the lineup, you know. Um, and then they've got some rookies that really showed up this year. <clears throat> Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Bay are long-term building blocks for this team. Uh, you add in a Jeremy Grant, and now you're cooking, and you're going to have a top three, four pick this year. I think they are much, much closer to contention than any other team uh, in uh, in Detroit. I, I think the, the, East, the NBA East is weak enough next year that they could they could very easily be in the playoff picture if they if they're if you know Killian Hayes balances out and if they can get a good piece uh, in this upcoming draft <clears throat> some of the talent that's out there you know if they were to luck into you know the first or second pick or something uh, I, I think they're they're much closer than any of the other teams. Yeah, and I have to tell you, when I heard the news about Dwayne Casey, the first thing I was trying to wrap my mind around was, when, when was the last Pistons coach to get their contract extended? And I, I 
Chuck Daly? Is that really is is that really the mm-hmm. last one? No, I no mean, they have uh, a number of good coaches during their you know I, successful run. Yeah, I I agree with your. They had plenty of coaches, but it was like you know. Larry Brown was great, but they couldn't wait to get rid of him. Um, I, I, and I, I don't. I'm trying to figure out who the last one was. I mean, God, I mean, and then it had me remembering the Doug Cowan days of of the Pistons, which is just remarkable by itself. Um, so that that, but just basically echoing what what Brandon said, this team is in great shape. Uh, um, Troy Weaver is, is on top of you know uh, of this roster. The flexibility that he has to go forward is incredible. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I hope maybe, maybe this team gets lucky and they get, you know, the number one or number two pick so they can get your Cunningham or, um, you know, one one of the top players, the the guard from uh, Gungaga. Um, the, the and 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 that would be the the good a, a, an excellent first step. And then the question would be, are you then able to go out? And maybe put together a trade and get a top player to come to this particular team. And where I find comfort level there is, you know, and, and I get to, I, I'm going to ask this question before we, you know, end the NBA segment, a specific question, but it can basically, in general, there's a lot of good players out there that could be potentially available. And with the uh, 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 cap structure of this team right now, you you just see there being a, a lot of potential of of something like that to be able to pair that number one, number two, maybe number three player in the draft, along with Jeremy Grant, along with these rookies that, that have been playing, uh, a Killian Hayes that looked just, he just seemed like every game he was improving. Is that a, a, a potential uh, you know, possibility out there. So um, I'm very, very excited. Uh, and, and, you know, it's strange to watch a team lose, but feel confident about the future. And it's exactly what this team has done. And that's where the comfort level is. So, yeah, but um, I think you're right. I think you're right about the trade options, Adam. You know, I, I don't think he, this particular guy uh, is, you know, will be available, but an Andrew Wiggins type guy, uh, which the, the Warriors picked up as kind of a placeholder. You know, guys in that range who can get you 20 to 25 a night, you know, I think that, you know, they may be able to make a play for. And then the other name I'll just throw out there uh, is Bradley Beal, uh, who I do not expect the Wizards to hang on to, uh, you know, as they, you know, they, they managed to squeak in this year in the playoffs. But I think he's somebody that, you know, as the Wizards look to rebuild, you know, could be on the market and Detroit could be a, could be a destination for him. You know, I guess that goes back to I. I, I have to say, and and even looking at who ended up being in the top three was kind of a little on the shocking side. But but Brandon, in your opinion, I mean, who who, who was the NBA MVP? And I'll, I'll I'll throw out this one thing. I mean, I'm looking at the top three according to the NBA books: it's Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, uh, and uh, Nikola Jokic. You know, uh, and now in the meantime. The guy that basically averaged a triple double the whole season, Bradley Beal's teammate in Russell Westbrook. And I, I know people have heartburn about Russell Westbrook, but seeing what that guy did this season, like I, I felt like he almost carried that Wizards team. Yes, with Beal, Beal was really, really good, but it just seemed like the the, the you know the the sweat and the grind of of Westbrook was what got that team into the playoffs. Uh, uh, or at least, you know, in, you know, be able to move forward. But then, you know, I look at other guys. I mean, Damian Lillard had an absolutely fantastic season, and he's still untapping his potential, right? He's building on it. Uh, you look at a guy like, and I, you know, you get concerned, but boy, when he's out there, he is absolutely lightning on the um, uh, on the court. Zion Williamson. Uh, and another guy that had an absolutely incredible season, and I think he's only like 24 at this point, is Jason Tatum with Boston. I mean, the, it, and I, it, it really, really, from an individual standpoint, uh, was a pretty good season from, a, and especially, and I didn't bring up Giannis's name, I didn't bring up Donovan Mitchell, I didn't bring up Devin Brooker, I didn't bring up Julius Randle. Um, you know, wow. Yeah, you know, Adam, I think it goes back to the age-old never never settled debate on what MVP means, right? You've got, you know, two guys in Jokic and Embiid who are extraordinary talents that are on extremely good basketball teams. 
right? And they do incredible things on the floor, much like Giannis. And then you've got a guy in Steph Curry who's much closer to the Westbrook situation. You know, you take Steph Curry off of the Warriors. I don't know that they win 15 games. Um, you know, you take Westbrook off of Washington. I don't know that it's quite as quite as dark, but I think your point stands that if you're going to think about who is the best player on the best cog, if you will, you know, maybe James Harden is the third guy and not Steph Curry. And if you're going to think about, you know, truly the most valuable piece to a puzzle, you know, maybe maybe it is a Lillard, Westbrook, and Curry group that's kind of in that. Because so I think it's it's just kind of this unsettled conversation. In my mind, Steph Curry is the easily the unanimous MVP of the NBA. What he does is just unprecedented. And, you know, I, I do think Westbrook's underappreciated, but I also think Westbrook is a stat patter. Just pure and simple. Like, he gets himself out of position to get rebounds. You know, and that's just that's just his deal. And he's an, he's a great talent, but I think that's some of the heartburn people have for him. So, Yo, but oh, the group that's presented, what I think Curry is the clear MVP. Okay. So, just to, to kind of wrap up the Pistons portions of this, first off, the fact check department has confirmed Chuck Daly is the last Pistons coach to get a contract extension, um, and also just. Again, two, two, two major takeaways for the Pistons season. Jeremy Grant um, was, was in a, a sensational move getting him, um, and, and I think we were all very kind of wary of it when it happened. Um, and then secondly, Troy Weaver's done a tremendous job thus far. Uh, granted, short window, but again, when you're trying to rebuild a team from just garbage, um, you gotta do you gotta do things, and so far so good. Um, I know we did want to talk about uh, the NBA playing game, Adam. You had mentioned uh, that was worth um, I, worth bringing I, up. I actually should have removed it from the agenda. It was more um, the, the 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 actual, but regardless, it was actual the the, the more of the concept going into well, it. That's what um, I mean, and that's what, yeah. that's actually how I mean it is okay conceptually because you know one of the things that. I think is important, and we'll we'll talk about more, like in baseball, uh, some of the changes they continue to toy with in the minor leagues to help speed up the game, and 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 the hope that the horrifying clown show that is a runner on second base in extra innings goes away, and they actually do things to speed up the game, like I don't know, uh, not have a pitcher take 30 seconds to throw a pitch until the batter can't see anymore because he's got something in his eye and then he's got to step out of the box and then the pitcher goes and grabs the rosin bag and then what have you. Um, like putting an end to some of that nonsense. I mean, they did a good job in, in stopping the, you know, Robin Ventura make six pitching changes in a six batter inning nonsense. But anyway, Along those same lines, I think talking about the evolution of sports is really important. So basketball is doing something a little bit different, and I did want to talk about that. It was a little confusing to me as to what it was, quite honestly, and part of it just I didn't look into it because I thought when um, uh, you know the uh, Wizards lost the other night, it was like a single elimination thing, which I'm like, gosh, you got teams playing 60, 70, pretty hard-fought, game and then you're going to do a single elimination which I, I don't necessarily like especially with the baseball either just don't bother or do something but again it was more of a round robin which I I, uh, um, I, I did appreciate I mean it was a little bit of a single elimination but not but um, and, and maybe it was a little more complicated than it needed to be um, but to your point Justin I, I do agree I mean I, I, some, you do need to evolve and it did make for a pretty interesting week of NBA basketball uh, um, and, and certainly, uh, you know, the quality of the game was certainly pretty high. And I, I, I think especially in the NBA where, uh, you know, we, we they, they, they have, you know, nights off and, and stars are taking load management days. It, it, it was, I, in my mind, it, it was actually a, it ends up being a kind of a good move. But I, I, I guess maybe in a couple of weeks I'll have a different opinion. I, I don't know where I'm at at this point on it, so. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know quite how I feel either. It was fun watching the Lakers and Warriors play. That was a heck of a game, uh, as was the game last night between Memphis and uh, Golden State. Surprising outcome uh, in that game, to be sure. 
Uh, the games in the East, I thought, were typical of Eastern Conference basketball. Just wild blowouts and ridiculous scoring. Uh, it's a pretty standard uh, activity. Um, I don't know how I feel. I'm, uh, I'll see what it, I, I think in the West, it's really helpful because of the, the serious parity. Uh, that exists in the Western Conference that, you know, it gives a little bit more uh, excitement, you know, that a fifth of a game, you know, a half game uh, or, you know, a tiebreaker in divisional play is no longer deciding who's getting that eighth seed, you know, which has happened in years past because all these teams are, you know, clumped together. So um, I, I think of the clown car changes that have been made across the four sports, this is one of the ones that's easier to live with thus far. And, and I think it's actually with some tweaking, potentially really good. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I never, to Adam's point, I never like the one game. And that's not exactly how this works, but I never like the one game elimination over for an entire season, with the exception of you know, like a game one sixty three, when two teams are literally equally tied in every way. It happens right. once every ten years. And that's fine, but doing the one game wild card with the second place wild card team that is also ridiculously clown carish cartoonish nonsensical nonsense um, not to sugarcoat it, but that's how I feel in any case um I do think like i said i I do think there's some merit to what they're doing here. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh. No, agree. Agree. Agree with your point, Justin. Yeah. You want to say that again? A little louder. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other the other team uh, wanted to talk about were, of course, the Red Wings as they re up Blash Hill. Um, <laughs> Brandon's over there kind of shrugging, and like, that's kind of how I feel. Um, you know, Eisenman's hey. point. <laughs> Eiserman's okay. point was, you know, Blashill's not had any talent to work with, which is not untrue. Um, but is he really the guy? Um, no, no, he's really not. Does it matter for next season? No, no, I don't think it does. So is it fine? Yeah, yeah, I think it's fine. I think Eiserman's done a good job overall. Um in starting to get some talent, and obviously, you know, he's hoarding draft picks. You know, there's going to be an episode of Hoarders where there's just draft picks laying all over his house. Um, and, and and that's good. I mean, you got to build, again, as we get back to that concept of what does the entire organization look like uh, from a rebuild perspective, um, you got to have depth. And he's going to get some depth here and some youth and some talent. And and he's obviously, you know, drafted some good young players who've already made, you know, their NHL debuts, um, and who are probably right around the corner. So I'm still hopeful in that respect. Uh, but this season was still pretty darn brutal. But what do you say to uh, to the argument that this team, after it got past that first twenty, you know, the first. Uh, quarter of the season that they were 500 or something in the neighborhood of 500. Uh, and the other thing is, is that um, uh, maybe uh, one of the aspects of that, that, you know, that, that performance was a, a, maybe in Steve Eisenman's mind, a, a, a better defensive effort than that we've had in Detroit in quite some time. Plus improved, you know, and don't get me wrong, there are some games that the, the goalie play was terrible terrible on this particular team but it seemed like as a whole that there was some improvement uh, especially again in that same set of games that uh, and I think the other argument then becomes maybe Steve Eisman has a, an extremely short list of successor coaches and they're simply not available and at this point stay with who you're familiar with yeah I mean that's that's exactly how I see it um, the team played well at times. They were better than they have been over previous seasons. That's not saying much, but they, they were on the whole better. Um, they did have a couple of serious uh, injury issues. Larkin missed a fair amount of time this season um, and was, was not 100%, and that certainly showed 
you know, the, Tyler Bertuzzi barely played. Uh, he had a surgery a couple weeks ago. He should be ready for next season. But that's a key piece, you know, to the team. Uh, Bobby Ryan played well until he got hurt. We all knew he was going to get hurt, but he did at least give them some some solid games. Uh, Robbie Fabry was out, you know, really dynamic young scorer, uh, multiple COVID issues on the team. Um, so, you know, I, I'm kind of talking, talking in both directions here, but that, that, and, that's and, the way it was. And, and, and I think the other thing to, to kind of bring up is that, you know, in the NHL, and I, I'm not a consummate NHL follower, but it, one, one thing that seemed to be a little prevalent this year was a lot of uh, not-so-great um, uh, um, uh, clubhouses, uh, uh, you know, um, locker rooms. Um, and for the most part, I mean, I, I didn't – there was no Red Wing that was, like, you know, being rebellious toward the, the front office or – Blashel. And I think in a season where we saw some, you know, rebellious players in other organizations, it, it seemed like, you know, this, you know, clubhouse, locker room seemed to be pretty settled and, and, and still organized and still together. And I think that there's something to be said there, too. I, I know none of that is exciting. We, we, we want winning hockey in this town. We, we want to be able, and we're sick and tired of watching losers. But at the very least, it seems like maybe there's some stability finally in this organization. We know we're getting it from Eiserman, and maybe that translates down into it, and maybe a vote of confidence continues that. But again, in the end, we just want wins and playoff performance. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, you know, this offseason could be his most critical one um, for a variety of reasons. One, you know, he's only got about $30 million, uh, on the books as far as salary. Uh, only about 10, 11 guys under contract. All, so many UFAs to run down the list. Glenn Denning, Ryan, Bernier, uh, just tons of them. Uh, and then he also Hell. had the expansion draft uh, to contend with. That's going to be yeah, happening. We got a lot of young talent. He's going to have to figure out who he can protect. Uh, you know, he's got to make some free agency signings work. So this is going to be an inter- really interesting year. And then, of course, another high stakes draft for them. You know, with another top pick. So uh, should be real interesting. But you know, I, yeah. I remain I remain confident. You know, I think he's doing exactly what he said he, he's going to do. He has a track record of success. You can see things beginning to come together. You know, he made his first truly. Blockbuster deal, and I think uh, fleeced Washington. Um, no question. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I was just about to say, Jacob Rana, what a great pickup. And, oh, by the way, you got Richard Panic because, again, you got to have some veteran guys out on the ice. He's still under contract for under three mil a season for another two years. Like, oh, okay, I'll take him. Um, I mean, and, and a couple draft picks, including a first-rounder. Um, sure. I mean, oh my God, <laughs> I thought it was a great trade when I first saw it, but I thought, yeah, but Mantha, he's young, he's going to contribute. He's going to be a good player. And I'm like, I really didn't know Jacob Rana. I, I, I wasn't super familiar with him and I'm like, oh my, <laughs> watching him play. Um, and, and again, and again, we've, we've said this in the past, this is a really young team. They're probably too young to even understand what it means to rebel at this point, Adam. Um, they're they're still uh, they're they're still learning how to walk. Um, you know, I mean, uh, Philip Brownick had a really nice season. Um, he's twenty three years old. He is going to be a steady rock defenseman for the for the Red Wings. I almost said Tigers and then Lions. Like, nope, nope. Um, you know, Larkin's still only twenty-four. <laughs> um, Brandon, you were you were breaking up pretty pretty good there. You felt like Matt Kedrum. Oh, I was saying maybe he can play first base. <laughs> maybe. Um, and, and there's a you know a variety of other guys, uh, like I was saying before, guys that Eiserman has has already brought into the fold, like Zadina, you know, Rasmussen. Um, some of those other guys. So uh, it's, it's exciting. And, and when does cider come up? Because I think that's sooner rather than later, which is pretty exciting. If you ask me. Agreed. No, I think cider is the guy that I think we've all 
been kind of waiting to arrive, right? I mean, he's there, uh, uh, you know, maybe maybe more like a Casey Mice. You know, we've been waiting, we've been hearing, we've been hoping, uh, and, and it's taken a little bit of time for him to kind of work through the system. But, uh, uh, and, and all for good reason, right? Uh, a guy that, you know, definitely needs to develop and whatnot. So, um, uh, and, and you know, and I think, you know, we continue to hope that Phil Giudino will uh, transform into something uh, that will, uh, you know, be, be as, as, um, as filled with the potential that we've been talking about for quite some time, even though it'd be, I'll, I'll be very curious, you know, with Giudino, you know, being that last non uh, uh Eisman draft pick, uh, you know, what exactly his plans with him are uh, long-term, so. Hard to say. Hard to say for sure. So with that, I don't think there's anything else uh, Red Wing related, uh, naturally. So perhaps a little bit of PGA. I know, Adam, you wanted to go uh, down that road as well. Yeah, real quick, we uh, we're heading. Uh, we're recording the show on Saturday morning, which means that uh, we got uh, round three and four in front of us, and the leaderboard we have going in. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't work out the way I think most golf fans would like. We got Louis Oosthuizen right uh, at the top uh, with Phil Mickelson. We would prefer that final group to be Phil and uh, uh, Brooks Kepka probably, and that would have been uh, uh, one for the generation probably. Uh, um, two guys that couldn't be any more on the opposite side of the spectrum about how. They uh, go on with life. I, I mean, Phil uh, would like to be a stand-up comedian. Probably would like to tell Aaron Rodgers he'd like to be the host of uh, Jeopardy the rest of his life. Uh, and Brooks, uh, he just wants to play golf. That's it. And 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 this is it. And uh, he took a little bit of Instagram with his uh, girlfriend Jen, Jen Sanders. But uh, for the most part, probably once he stops playing golf, he'll get rid of all his social media and go out about about his day and not worry about what anyone thinks. So, uh, uh, but you know, we we got that one guy to look for i, I think they'll almost cheer for uh and he's one under charlie hoffman hasn't won a major 44 uh and it would be uh that would be a heck of a story um and another guy he did win a u.s open then when uh, had a bit of a tough stretch was uh, gary woodland uh which uh, Gary was almost better known for uh, his uh, um, uh, friendship with uh, now the uh, first uh, um, woman who uh, is um, uh, has Down syndrome to play uh, in a, um, uh, I believe, a uh, what, U.S. women's amateur, if I'm not mistaken. I, I forget exactly what she's playing, but uh, had that one scene out at uh, uh, the uh, TPC in uh, Scottsdale uh, with uh, that, that video that seems like everyone in golf has seen at least a couple of times. But uh, no, great. A, a, a nice leaderboard, but even more shocking, uh, guys like Justin Johnson didn't make the cut, uh, um, along with uh, Jenner Shoffley, uh, two guys that you would have expected. Another uh, kind of surprise for people uh, following uh, golf, uh, actually an OU, um, uh, Oakland University guy, uh, Brian Harmon, uh, missing the um, um, you know, missing the cut going into uh, this, and he's played really, really, really good golf uh, going into uh, you know in, here in the season. So um, definitely watch. We'll uh, anything notable comes up, we'll be sure to talk about it uh, uh, on the next show. So I would say une- unexpected but exciting leaderboard. You know, uh, Kepka really struggled with the Masters. You know, he was coming off that knee surgery. He did not play well. I think it was at Byron at AT and T. You know, so, so kind of surprising to see him bounce back that way on a course of this difficulty. Um, but, you know, fun leaderboard. I mean, you know, I got a 51-year-old lefty uh, managing to get the ball straight enough, at least for the moment. You know, Louis Oosthuizen, you know, is a few years past his uh, peak performance. And then you got Kepka hanging out. You got uh, the Masters champion, Matsuyama, hanging out. You know, uh, you, know you got DeChambeau and, and Morikawa hanging around even. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the weekend. To be some oh, good kind of it was really kind of shocked to the Jordan Spieth has not uh, performed at the level that he, but it sounded like he had, uh, he did get COVID uh, and then he was off for about three weeks after the Masters. And maybe he's just simply not totally recovered from that. So, mm-hmm. um, but it'd be saying that, I mean, he played really, really well last week at the Byron Nelson. And then they had that. I don't know, like three inches of rain that dropped in about four hours, and it really kind of played havoc both on the golfers and the course itself, and uh, definitely uh, changed the results going in, uh, into the final round. So, that's that. With that said, it is about uh, time to wrap things up for another edition of the Emporium. Um, 
my uh, fact check department over here. Um, they're always working hard. Uh, they did let me know that Moritz Seider, by the way, was Defenseman of the Year in the Swedish Hockey League uh, this season. Uh, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. Any final thoughts as we get ready to uh, depart? No? Okay. The, no. the head the head shakes don't translate no. well in radio. Or I, it was land. it was giving me a pause to make sure I hadn't you know missed anything. I mean, we could have gone over day three of NFL draft pitch for the Lions, but I'm going to save everyone on that one. Please, God, no. Might be surprised. <laughs> might be surprised. You might have had about three starters out of it. So. It's exciting, yeah. I think they're going to roll out the towel boy for our wide receiver. Um, should be fun. Should be a good time. You know, here's here's the funny thing is my gut is the Lions are actually going to have a decent year next year. That's my gut feeling. Um, they, I mean, they're, they're not going to be good. They're out of the casinos. <laughs> uh, but I actually think, I actually think the, uh, I, like I said, I don't know what's giving me this level of optimism with the Lions, but I actually think they're not doing a horrendous job right now. Well, they did try something unconventional, which is not having any skill position players that are any good. So (laughs) I'm interested to see how that works out for them on both sides of the ball. I think it's a revolutionary approach to not have any skilled talent on the outside uh, in in any respect. So I'm I'm interested to see how it works out. You know, one one thing I will say, though, in football, uh, you can be mediocre without skilled players. Um, And yet the Lions have managed to avoid it. Indeed, they stayed out of that trap. I <laughs> I agree. I agree. I'm just saying that in other sports, it's a little harder. Not like in basketball, you're not generally going to survive without a certain level of skill. <laughs> not. I, with the Lions, though, I think I think the one thing that kind of plays into what you're speaking to, though, is their division is going to be really, really not so good this season, especially Miserable. if in, in if in fact. Aaron Rodgers does not come back to the Green Bay Packers organization. Well, no, I, well, I mean, I, and, and I, they're actually a, a decent team. I mean, I their defense is decent, and, and, and you know, and I mean, they still got Devontae Adams for God's sakes, right? I mean, um, you know, but 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 in general, I, I I expect nothing from Chicago, and I I think they even worse, and, and Brandon was commenting on it too and the last show is you know Kirk Cousins and the Vikings are not good um and oh, you know I, 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 over, I, someone. <laughs> over Jake Rogers over there <laughs> Jake Rogers is there to intercept <laughs> we got a pick six coming um but but with this in this particular division and and I think the other thing that really um I, the, the expectation on my side is that that the defense of the Lions is not nearly as bad as they looked last season, and I'm curious about what Aaron Glenn does, and and that's where they will be, I think, in the end, potentially respectable. Yes. Well, and, and the, that was ultimately my my point is football starts in the trenches, and then you can work out from there. Yeah. Um, and so I think they can play some level of respectable football. Um, and that is as is, is, is much praise as you will ever hear me give the Detroit Lions until they someday win a Super Bowl. And, and at that point in time, I will be praiseworthy. No, and, and Justin, you know, what what will be interesting, too, is as we're getting closer to season, seeing more and more of the personnel decisions, uh, they did make the decision to, you know, waive carry out Johnson, which I think shocked many people, not only here locally, but in the, you know, in the NFL. And they felt like they, they you know, they needed to go that, you know, another direction that wasn't including carry on Johnson. Do not need players. <laughs> to Brandon's <Well>. point. <laughs> Skill players are the enemy. <laughs> well, well, I don't know. I, I think there's. Uh, we'll, we'll see how this all shakes out. I, I'll say this: they, they clearly they have uh, coordinators that know what they're doing. Um, yeah. I will give they they are better on the on the defensive and offense. Their offensive line actually should be very good. Um, yeah, uh, and I think Jamal Williams is a decent enough back. Um, 
you know, I, 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 and then they've got an offensive coordinator. Anthony Lynn is a very good offensive coordinator. Aaron Glenn is an excellent defensive coordinator. Uh, I think they will be uh, far improved in that regard. Uh, and so that will keep them competitive if for no other reason than, Adam, to your point, the division's terrible. I think if I were to summarize Kirk Cousins, and if you played Madden, there was a, a moment when the camera would flip when you threw an interception, and, like, Kirk Cousins it's just immediately once you throw the ball and you see the camera flip in Madden, like, that is just, that is Kirk Cousins. Like, I feel that. Like, I'm, like, you almost get dizzy when the camera flips in Madden when you throw a pick six, and, it, like, that's just Kirk Cousins, and I just imagine what that's like for him. And, and, and kind of going back to the draft, uh, I, I think is that um, you, you, you know you Garrett, yeah, Derek Barnes. Um, I think is going to be a very very good linebacker in, on this team, uh, and um, uh, I think that uh, I'll be curious about how the USC uh, St. Thomas plays. Um, Adam did a really nice spinorama there to try to get out of your nonsense. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it was really nice. The, the three skies. I can't even. You know, the problem is too. Hours last night. <laughs> I can't even like take him seriously because then when he's flipping around, then I see Jake Rogers' face pop on it, and I'm like, I can't kill. So, there's nothing that's serious about anything with that screen today. <laughs> So, anyway, it's my fault. We started talking about Lions, so shame on me. Um, in any case, um, yeah, plenty to talk about. I'm just saying, I watched five hours of Jamar Jefferson tape last night. He's the guy. <laughs> and on that note, this is content you'll get nowhere else. The Saturday Morning Sports Emporium for Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson. My name's Justin Lee. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you soon. Thank you.